Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell, and today we're going to talk about some recent events, things that you can expect for pilot outreach, and most importantly, an opportunity for you to engage to demonstrate your unity with our goals for our new contract. Today we're joined by your MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, your MEC Secretary Garen Tenchert, and Strategic Planning Chairman Ronan O'Donohue. For context, please understand that this episode is being recorded on Tuesday, February 8th, meaning tomorrow, as we're recording this, we will enter into our second session of mediated negotiations with the National Mediation Board. And so, Will, as we get started, would you talk about the last session and then some of what you expect to occur in this upcoming session? Okay, I will. And I'll start with a look back on the last one that we had in January and just kind of characterize where we are and what we talked about. Um, In that session, we did spend a lot of time focusing on work rules, but uh, did begin the session by delivering an outline of uh, really key scope subjects that have to be addressed if we're going to move mediation forward uh, as well. The company will be responding to that outline at this upcoming mediation, which is this week. It starts tomorrow, February 9th through the 11th. Overall, you know, we did have some progress in Section 11 training issues. We were able to resolve those. And so it was completed pending the the pay components before it'll be uh, formally uh, set aside as done. And that'll be part of the, the later economic proposal, as we discussed in previous podcasts. Overall, I guess I would just have to say, you know, sadly, mediation didn't result in meaningful progress from management related to the work rule improvements that we were seeking, and we didn't reach any any new agreements. We spent a lot of time on work rules um, with proposals covering reserves, cancellation makeup, average daily guarantee, and uh, trip construction as well, which is obviously key to the pilots regardless of which type of a scheduling system we move forward on. I think it's also probably important to remind everybody where we are in the process of the RLA process. We're in direct mediated talks with the second meeting set here starting tomorrow, and then a third is also slated for March. Um, We did do a podcast a few weeks ago on the RLA, and I would remind pilots that if you haven't had a chance to listen to it now, please do so. It's, It's good and informative to see where we are. Yeah, and you can find it. It's the the very most recent podcast episode. So just go into that list, and and it's the last one. And I'll well, I'll also put a in the show notes a link to the flow chart of the RLA process. Okay, that that's helpful. One question I get a lot, and you know, as I've either flown or jump seated around here, is you know, what's the general tone? How are things? And if I was to describe the the general tone so far, I think uh, Chris Gruner really did put it well in that last negotiating committee update in saying that we do continue to just face hurdles with the company trying to, as Bruce York always says, sand around the edges of the current uh, unsatisfactory contract structures that we've got, rather than making meaningful improvements, you know, using a lot of the, the proposals that we've brought forth. You know, it probably bears repeating that we have uh, constructs and proposals for just about every area ready to go. But, uh, you know, trying to work it into a a mindset of trying to fix the current contract is absolutely not going to move it forward. And as I said, again, tomorrow we're going to tackle one of the biggest priorities that the pilots have um, in, in terms, in addition to the work rules and scheduling flexibility, which is just job security and scope. 
It's interesting that over the weekend, Forbes, well, we all know this because we all were on the scramble, right, on Sunday. Forbes reached out to me regarding the, the recent New York City uh, picking event and wanted to talk about the contractual issues that we're facing. Um, and I, in terms of my expectations for this week, I'd say that sadly the company's response in that article that was cited is one of the same tired talking points of having a, a unique business model that somehow suggests that they're going to once again show up and argue that same point. Certainly hope not, but that article seems to pave the way that we're going to have a, a, a steep hill starting tomorrow. Yeah. Well, speaking of steep hills, can let's just remind the pilots that their priorities are clear. They've been communicated to us very well, very plainly, and that the what we're advocating for at the negotiating table has not changed. No, that, that has been one thing that has been so consistent throughout this entire process, which sadly, as we noted in the Forbes article, really started three years ago, April 1st, right? Two years past our amendable date, April 1st. But the pilots have been so consistent in terms of their expectations and needs for a, a CBA on this one throughout those three years. They have not changed at all. And it's encouraging to see that. Um, and that, again, as I always say, applies across all demographics. It seems to not matter whether you are junior or senior or what base you're in and how long you've uh, you've been here with the company or your background. POTS are seeking the exact same priorities. And sometimes that is the hardest thing to communicate to the company, which seems to continue to drive a narrative that somehow ALPA is telling the pilots what it is that they need or that they want, and nothing could be further from the truth. It's the opposite way around. Yeah, and I think it's worth stressing that the priorities the pilots have communicated have not been tempered at the negotiating table due to time or due to the fact that we're now in with the National Mediation Board. We're still fighting just as hard for all of those. But since some time has passed, let's get back to that idea about openers, what they are, and whether those have changed. There's, I think, a little bit of misunderstanding out there about what that means. Well, the openers are the priorities that are expressed by the pilots, obviously, at the onset of negotiations. It's an outline of the priorities that will be, you know, addressed during negotiations. And while those priorities certainly haven't changed, you know, we do ongoing polling of the pilots. We've obviously done a lot of interaction with the pilots to make sure that uh, that they're on track. And in the end, you know, there's some things in those openers that as an outline aren't really addressed until the end. I, one of the questions I get all the time is, well, the opener, you know, did we put a pay proposal on the table? Do we, we don't have economics on the table yet. Some things are very dynamic in, in terms of the nature of the opener versus where we end up. The opener, I guess, would be best construed as sort of the outline of the priorities, and then that's supported and refined by the ongoing polling and obviously the, the industry landscape. We are going to poll again here soon, and I think that that's important because the industry landscape has changed. Well, that's an interesting way to construe it, and I, I think the landscape changes all the time, and a great example of that is the merger of Spirit and Frontier that just happened, which underscores the need for scope and, and changes to Section 1, right? Right, exactly. Even though the priorities expressed in the opener remains unchanged, I think the landscape does change kind of around it, and obviously how we address it at the table changes as well. Ronan, I'm going to move into your wheelhouse a little bit more. We'll address it a little bit with the Forbes reporter contacting us about the event we did in New York City. But that's a, it's a great example of some of the ways that we're becoming a little bit more vocal with our concerns about the lack of progress management has been making in the negotiations. 
let's talk about that event and all four of us on the call were at it. So let's uh, run, start us off and we'll have a conversation about what we did last week. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, so basically, we saw this opportunity kind of pop up last fall. Um, it was at the November meeting that I approached the MEC and asked for permission to go ahead and do a a smaller picket in the New York area um, on February 3rd. We kept it basically, as we've told you in prior communications and in prior podcasts, we were going to take this um, out a lot more public. We feel like uh, people need to know the struggles that we're going through as a group. And we felt like this was a really good opportunity to do that. So what we did is we kept it quiet, uh, made a small group of folks that flew in. Basically, there was people that flew in from the West Coast, so from Florida, there were several guys, and some people local to New York, Pennsylvania, and, and other close-in areas to get together and um, pick at an event that our COO, Constance von Mueller, was speaking at. And the plan was to try and get in front of that. So let me give you a little bit of, of, of color to those of you who don't know what the event actually was. It was hosted at the Yale Club. And it was by the Wings. And the Wings Club was hosting an event and they asked Constance to speak at this event. And we basically, we saw this as an opportunity because as we did some research on the event, we realized that there's actually quite a group of influential people that do tend to, to uh, frequent those luncheons. So we thought it was an opportunity to get out there in front of it. And we had 35 pilots. We staged that morning over in the Westin and we went over to, uh, we marched over through Manhattan and set up um, right there in front of the actual club itself. Um, it was extremely well done. I'm, I'm quite proud of the pilots that showed up. I, I, I can't say enough positives about them. And it, it did actually garner quite a bit of media attention um, for several reasons, as you guys now well know. But um, just what a lot of other people don't realize, too, is we actually attended the event. And I'll let Garen and Will speak to that here in a second because they were the two guys that went in in uniform. So we bought a couple of tickets, um, three tickets we bought to um, the actual luncheon itself. And Will and Garen went in in full uniform. And Bruce York, our attorney for um, negotiations, joined them, too. So, But, yeah, that's, that's basically the backstory there on the Yale Club event. There's a short one-minute video of some of the clips of what we did, but it, it was really impressive, I think, to walk down the streets of Manhattan, uh, 35 pilots in uniform marching to a, a location. We got a lot of people stopping, staring, filming us, so it, it really really was an effective event. So, Will and Garen, tell us what the luncheon was like. It's a... A nice luncheon with a about, a, I guess, an hour or so set aside for people to interact and meet uh, and and talk prior to uh, prior to the actual lunch and to the keynote speaker being Constance. And Garen and I had an opportunity to interact with and meet a number of individuals, including the host of the event. And obviously, the everybody there at the luncheon had seen the picket and had received or had the opportunity to receive one of the leaflets that we were handing out as they entered the event. And uh, it generated a lot of questions. I mean, good conversations. I think I'll let Garen pick it up from here about some of them. But certainly, I think that there was a lot of misunderstanding about uh, the culture here and that everybody's very, very happy and uh, an unawareness of the protracted nature of the negotiations and the issues that are holding us up. And then I guess to speak generally about the fact that the improvements that we're seeking obviously are in place at nearly every other major carrier 
So it was good to raise that awareness beforehand and then sit down uh, at the, the lunch where we were at a table center of the room, basically, and listen to Constance. So I guess we'll get into that in a second. But I don't know, Garen, you want to speak to some of those conversations we had? Yeah, I, thanks, Will. I felt like it was a, you know, your typical event where you have a guest speaker, a keynote speaker, if you will, uh, and pretty good conversations ensued. Uh, you know, of course, we're a little bit noticeable being in uniform, and I felt like that uh, very pleasant personalities would come up to us and ask questions about, you know, where we're at, what we're doing, and uh, just the status and, and how we feel about the airline. And it was surprising to me that how little was known about the true culture of Alaska Airlines. And, you know, I think this is about being truthful to the stakeholders. And uh, it's time that we, we talk about that. And it's time that the stakeholders know and understand the realities of our situation and what it feels like to be a pilot at Alaska Airlines. And this was a great opportunity to do that. And I really appreciate the openness of the individuals that we had conversations with, really pleasant folks, really open and, and wanting to hear what we had to say about it. And of course, we were pleasant uh, and cordial in kind as well. We weren't there to to rabble rouse or to ruffle any feathers. We certainly just wanted to kind of, uh, you know, give our opinion and our, our our status of how we are and why we're there. And so that's kind of the way the conversations brewed. And there was uh, some real interest that came out of that from a lot of folks that very influential, like Ronan says. Was there any follow-up, Garen, from the people you spoke with to Constance herself after the talk she gave? Uh, you, you're talking about afterwards, David? Yeah, like, after, um, the, you know, she presented her, I, I assume there was some kind of presentation and then were the the things that you brought up with people, yeah. did, did anybody address those issues with her? Well, to start with, there was a lot of folks that didn't really have a chance to, to have a good conversation with us and we didn't have a chance to be able to talk to them either. And there's several folks in the room that we really wanted to kind of have a conversation with. And what was surprising to me is that normally these types of events have a Q&A at the end, question and answer, so that you can clarify. Uh, this was kind of an interview um, posture with with Constance, our COO. And it, you know, some of the questions and the answers could use some clarification. And I, usually there's going to be a question and answer at the end to do that. And there wasn't. And so that was surprising to me. And so there was some follow-on things that some of the folks in attendance wanted to know. And, and of course, they came to us for those answers afterwards. And we were able to kind of demonstrate some of the, maybe some inconsistencies in what was said during the presentation. It seems odd to me that at an event like this, I, I've seen the pictures. It was a relatively small conference room, essentially a, an intimate experience. Um, and it just seems weird that you wouldn't have a Q&A afterwards. Yeah, especially I'll kind of jump on the point that it seemed like a heavily scripted sort of an interview that that he did with her. And it seemed like heavily scripted in the sense that the, the questions, I think, were pretty much known and allowed her to stay to talking points and things that she wanted to uh, to be able to emphasize about the company. And it definitely steered clear of probably some of the questions that I think people would really want to know, like we've talked about with um, growth plans and pilot supply issues. I mean, it was the Wings Club hosting it. So I would think that that would be a pretty salient topic about career opportunities and things like that for the aspiring pilots. And uh, Garen and I spoke with many. It would have been nice to get some, as Garen said, some clarification on that. And also for probably stakeholders in the room to uh, you know, drill down on things that were concerning them when you've got financial analysts and things like that in the room that I think were far more interested in things like their growth plans and their ability to execute and pilot supply issues. Yeah, well, I think something that was uh, particularly poignant here was just how 
much was not known by those uh, attending members about the culture, the inside culture at Alaska Airlines. And, you know, the whole purpose of us being there is about being truthful to the stakeholders and uh, and picketing is one way to accomplish this, right? And, and they all noticed that we were out front and wanted to know why we were there. And so asked very insightful questions about that. And uh, we were able to give them some kind of insight into what really is going on with Alaska Airlines and how really their employees are being treated. We were there to just tell the truth and to point out certain inconsistencies in the story that's portrayed to the public. You know, and one thing that I thought was interesting, we had a couple of conversations. Obviously, they had company personnel in attendance, too. And, uh, you know, when they came up and, and spoke to us and said, you know, I read your flyer and that was really professionally well done, almost like they expected it to have a different tone. But there was also, I guess, the point I'm driving at an unawareness of some of the issues that we face, even even inside the company. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, I'm not sure if there was uh, an attempt to not have a question and answer at the end. Uh, I don't know why they would do that, if there's some kind of fear to have to be in that position to stand in the box and answer certain questions. I think there might be a little bit of reluctance to, to take questions with having two pilots in the room, even though that we are, of course, we were going to be the utmost respectful in terms of how we present the questions and, and not try to throw anybody under the bus at that time. So I, I, I found that really interesting as why that was, but let alone the fact that at the end and, and more so in the beginning, we were able to kind of articulate the reasons for our presence. Yeah, David, that's that's all really good points with Will and Garen here. The one thing I, I really feel very strongly that I need to thank is the other pilots that participated. We'd have, we had about 27 of our own folks there, Alaska pilots, but we had JetBlue, um, we had a Delta pilot, and we had a Spirit pilot show up as well to show unity with us and to um, to stand there with us out on that rainy morning. And, you know, frankly, let's just call it like it is here. They had to remain very professional, very stoic. They did a great job in the face of a, a kind of an odd event, which has since gone viral. Um, it was it was quite strange. So, you know, but I, I again, I want to thank those guys because they stood the line very, very professionally. Yeah, and Ronan, the strangeness you're talking about, right, is when Constance came up and attempted to interact with each pilot standing at attention. Yeah, well, yeah, when she approached, when she approached the group, yes. Just in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, I'll, I'll put a link to the video in the show notes. Yeah, I think there was a lot of question about whether or not she would come and engage the, the, uh, the picket line. But I didn't know what to expect, and I certainly didn't expect what we got. No, I, I got to tell you, that was the strangest thing. I, I've been, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. I've, I've been on strike, and so I've walked a lot of picket lines, and I've been yelled at, cursed at, spit at, um, tried to be intimidated in lots of different ways, but I, I've just never experienced anything like last week. It just, it felt like I was living through a Monty Python sketch in a way. Uh, just, just bizarre, bizarre. I think, that, you know, everybody can judge on their own on the video, I suppose, and, and see. But I think the interesting tell was when she finished the, the line and walked behind to engage myself and Ronan there. And I'm familiar with her, obviously. And it just seemed like a, a whole different, oh, hi, much more friendly, but very professional in, in noting that we had a lot of work to do and a lot of work uh, ahead of us to get this contract over the line. She acknowledged that in her comments to me, but it did feel like there was a shift in demeanor. That's interesting. I'm going to be just a little real here, but when the COO comes over to square off with you and you're standing there on a picket line, it does make 
a pilot think and take pause about what consequences might this turn out like? You know, standing on the line, there's is there going to be an attempt to retaliate? Am I going to, is she going to remember that you were sta- standing there on the line? And the awkward stare down really kind of seemed to imply that anyway. And I just think there was a better way to maybe approach that. I don't know her intent. I just think that, uh, and, and maybe it was supposedly positive and her intent was to come over and greet the pilots. It didn't feel that way and it didn't look that way. And, you know, Garen, I would just add to that that traditionally there's a convention that one doesn't interact directly with pilots who are standing on a picket line. And an airline executive should know that. So the fact that she came up to the picket line in the way that she did tells me that either she doesn't fully understand the nature of her office or she did it with some kind of intent. What that is, you know, I I won't speculate, but I think from the video, people can draw their own conclusions. Well, especially, David, when you think about, and I've been here 22 years and I know the culture of this airline, especially being from the inside, working in management for 10 years, I know how these folks operate in there. And, and there has been, I'll just be fair and honest about this, there has been a very heavy-handed culture and in some ways an unjust culture in the way they treat employees. I think maybe one final the, the question that I got repeatedly from reporters, but uh, also from pilots over the weekend was, what exactly did she say when she did say something to each of the pilots? And I would uh, let you and Garen speak to, speak to that, I guess, David. Mm-hmm. With me, it was a greeting, uh, just simply said good morning. But I, I think one of the reasons that I've been hesitant to talk about what she said is the, the words are really insignificant, it, especially in the context of what was going on, you know, a, a stare down, a, an addressing of every pilot on the line, like, uh, you know, a drill um, checking the uniforms or whatever it, that was. Um, so, you know, I think we all know you can say the words of a pleasantry when really you mean something else. I think we've all probably done that and certainly all been on the receiving end of that. And What are you saying? Tone matters, David? Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, there was, you know, a lot of ways to handle that. And Very flat affect is what I heard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and again, it was just, just a, a bizarre experience. So that was my experience. I was the last guy on the line there. And um, I think, Garen, you were about in the middle. What what did you experience? Yeah, David, basically it was the same experience I had. I uh, I saw Constance come over and, and basically look at every single pilot, pause at each one, and then move on to the next one. You know, one of the positives that came out of this whole thing, though, Garen, was the, the amount of texts and phone calls. Actually, I, I got a tremendous amount of people calling me going, why didn't I know about this? I wanted to be there. I would have been there. And obviously this was just, we kept it quiet for strategic purposes and for what the purpose of it was. But I've gotten so much traffic since this video went viral, not only from our own pilots, but from other MECs, from other unions, not even MECs within ALPA. I've had support from outside of ALPA with them. We're here. We're here with you. And, you know, after that display, they want to uh, come join us and they want to, to pick it with us. So which, which leads me into my next subject, which is April 1st and just the absolute importance of um, being able to respond, you know, and just being able to pilots to take this public. As I said, this was my whole motivation for doing this event was to 
get out there, get a public awareness of what's going on. But that was only 35 pilots. I, I want to see that multiplied on a much, much grander scale on April 1. And I am going to plead to every single person that's listening to this, that not only you, but everybody around you gets involved. And uh, we, we stand and we stand unified. Will, before we move on from this topic, you brought up the Forbes article earlier. Did Was there anything else you wanted to talk about on that? Well, it did. I mean, it generated a lot of interest. And when Forbes reached out, uh, I think we all found that to be interesting, obviously, and an opportunity to, again, explain our situation and talk about pilot priorities. Um, and even though that article focused on the picketing event, uh, the conversation with that reporter, with Ted Reed, ran a full 30 minutes. And I really do think he took a lot of interest in the state of negotiations. He asked a lot of good questions and in particular was very conversant in the issues. He's been doing this a very, very long time and was interested in those issues that we face. So I do anticipate that that's a good relationship we've built and further downline conversations, in fact. You also had an opportunity to do an interview, didn't you? I did, yeah. Uh, while we were on the line, a, a reporter from, I believe it was Aviation Weekly, came up and had a same thing, very well versed in, in the industry and what was going on and, and seemed interested in our negotiation and where we stand. Yeah, those articles certainly got some, uh, the Forbes article certainly got some traction. And actually, it's led to a tremendous amount of um, calls, texts, even emails from folks to me. And first of all, a few, several guys venting frustration because they would have loved to have been there. But obviously, we kept this um, quiet because as we and as we continue to move forward, we will be looking for opportunities to get the pilots out there and make sure that our, our story is told on a much more global scale. But what was pretty amazing to me since um, since Thursday, even on the drive home after the Facebook Live was was published, is the amount of commitments of support that I've received not only from our own pilots and not only from other ALPA pilots, but from other MECs and other unions, frankly, where when they saw this video, I, I've, I've gotten just an outpouring of people reaching out to me, wanting to commit to help with the struggles that we're facing here, getting this contract, the section six done. And what I want to convert that into is a call to action for April 1st. I cannot possibly get across how important it is that People show up. This is your chance to get out there. This is your chance to stand the picket line and to demonstrate to this company your desire and your resolve to get this thing done. Um, it's been too long now. And April 1st, obviously, is a significant date. It's almost three years since negotiations began. And we, we just can't do this. We, we have to get out there. We have to show in numbers. And, and management will be watching that. So this is an opportunity for every single person and other carriers will be there. I, I've even heard from other work groups. So just, it, it's a plea, it's a call to action, it's time. Yeah, Ronan, I agree. And uh, you know, first I want to encourage all of you to join us in helping in the efforts by all our fellow pilots and being there for our upcoming events. And it's, you know, I look at it as more of an obligation as an Alpha pilot and an Alaska pilot to be there. You know, we're only as strong as we are together on this and unified as a group. And I believe there isn't a problem out there that can't be solved or managed better by a group of unified individuals. So I'm uh, urging those that can be to be there. Uh, I, I do see that we're starting to see a lot more resolve among the pilot group and a lot more participation and involvement. And I, I, I enjoy seeing that. And uh, the resolve to stay the course is vital to us succeeding in our Section 6 and in our, in our 
our, our plight to be able to be respected by our management. Yeah, and I'll put it a little bit more bluntly. It's not somebody else's job to get you the contract that you want. It's your job. Absolutely. And I, I hate to be so crass, but pilots get the contract they fight for. Yeah, so what are we going to do? We're going to continue to fight, and we're going to fight for all of you. And we hope that you will all join us in that effort. Yeah, and I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about what that effort looks like and addressing some concerns that may arise in our probationary pilots and also in pilots for whom this may be their first airline at a unionized company. And so this may seem a new and and, uh, a little odd. So first of all, I like to think of the efforts I apply to my ALPA work, and I'd, I'd encourage other pilots to consider this as it's another one of the things that I do for the sake of my career to either get it started in the first place or to maintain it. So I spend, as I know all of you do, a lot of effort preparing every year for a check ride in uh, practicing my memory items, practicing the procedures for emergency procedures. And I've done a lot to invest in my career. Certainly, I spent a lot of money in my initial training, uh, a lot of effort and risk in pursuing this career. And the work that I do for ALPA is similar to that. And of course, not everybody has the time to devote to it in the way of a committee chairmanship or, or even a necessarily a volunteer on a committee. But coming to a picket line, an informational picket, is something that everybody can do. And it really is, think of it as one of those things that is a, a requirement of the job, uh, a requirement of making sure this career grows into something that you can be proud of and that can sustain you throughout an entire career. And when we do this picket, there will be a role for every single pilot. But those roles will differ a bit depending on what type of pilot you are. So let me explain what I mean by that. There are three types of pilots as it relates to this condition. The first are new hire pilots who have not yet completed training. The second are probationary pilots who have completed training. And the third is everybody else. So if you're a new hire pilot but have not yet completed training, you fall into a different category as it relates to the Railway Labor Act. So we want to make sure you're protected. The best thing that you can do is continue to prepare for your check ride, be ready for that, and stay informed. The second group, probationary pilots, we don't want to put you in in any kind of jeopardy, so there's no expectation that you would wear a uniform and join the picket line. That There's a little bit of jeopardy there, so we want to keep you protected from that. There are plenty of support roles that you can be involved in, so please do plan on getting involved and we'll make sure there's something that, that you can do that keeps you out of any, any kind of jeopardy. For everyone else, this is your chance to protect your career and you really need to be out there. If you're not working, you need to be out there on the picket line. And just to be clear, we have a right in this country to organize. We have a right to be part of a union, and we have a right to communicate about that, whether that's what's going on in the union or our concerns about an ongoing contract negotiation. That is protected union speech. And picketing, an informational picket like this, is protected union speech. Now, as to the uniform, 
It is ideal that we look the part and look as one solid, uniformed body. And so we should look as, as in an ideal situation, we would wear our uniform exactly the same. As you all know, our company has made it very difficult to even get the right uniform parts. So we're at a little bit of a deficit <laughs> because of the similar issues that we've been dealing with in every other part of our contract. So as you prepare to come out and meet us on the line, what I'd like to ask you to do is look as professional as this company has allowed you to do. If you have a hat, bring it. If you have a blazer, bring it. I will do the same, and I look forward to seeing everyone who is not working on that day out walking on the picket line. Okay, well, let's turn back to you, Will. And, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated and I think is a hallmark of your MEC chairmanship is a desire to be transparent and out in front of the pilots as much as possible. And COVID has made that more difficult than we would like, but I know we have some plans to get back out there soon. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, as you've said, David, I mean, the pilot outreach and the transparency is super important to me and to everybody actually on the MEC and all of the volunteers. And the coffee sits have always been a super rewarding way to get out in front of the pilots and answer those questions directly. Uh, and that's been somewhat hampered, obviously, during the pandemic. So we look forward to this uh, all pilot webcast on February 17th. We'll obviously provide all the salient details about exact timing and how to submit questions and, and that sort of thing um, in the future. But we'll have a number of resources available to answer questions, including you know key committee uh, volunteers, like from scheduling, um, your negotiating committee, obviously the officers, um, our legal team, and then uh, Liz from EFNA to be able to answer any, any questions that pilots may have. Yeah, Liz does a great job. She's an economic and financial analyst and helps to really make the case that our goals are affordable and, and has a, a great sense of what's going on within our company and the industry. Speaking about pilot feedback, we often get questions about what's next, uh, what's coming up, what, how can pilots participate, or what can they at least expect? So, Ronan, I know you've got a lot of things in the works. You want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, thanks, David. Um, obviously, there's the, the main focus that we have going forward is April 1. Um, it's a, a total show of unity. I've already talked about that, but it is worth emphasizing that that is the number one thing that pilots can be getting ready for and, and getting moving on. And you will see more pickets as the summer keeps going. It's, um, this is just, this isn't a one and done. Um, there will be more and we will, you know, choose our locations and choose our events wisely. Also, we do look forward to getting back out there as this um, COVID backs down again. Hopefully, that'll stay um, in this in this lowered state, and we can get back out more active in the community and different events um, where we can get our struggle out in front of the public and in front of other other um, groups that we feel like need to know about this. Um, March coffee sits. You know, we want to get back out there, and I think that that's a reality now. It's starting to look like this this wave is truly dying down. And um, in April and May, you'll see some other stuff unveiled that I think will make the pilot group quite energized and quite happy. Um, but, you know, on, on a grander scale, you'll, you'll just see continued events like what you saw last week in New York. And, uh, it, you know, that's kind of where I, I'd, I'd prefer to leave that. 
we have no problem taking this more and more public and, you know, kind of riding this wave of the um, awareness that people seem to be having of, of where we're at. Well, I think we've covered the big topics that have occurred over the last few weeks, or at least since we did the last podcast episode anyway. Will anything else you want to add before we sign off? Oh, yeah. I think certainly just a couple of um, a couple of thoughts. You know, I would say that as many of you have noticed and people have reached out to me and said, it feels like we're entering a different phase of the campaign working to attain this this contract that the pots have waited three years for. And three years is just entirely too long. Uh, as Ronan said, the outreach, our public events and efforts to make the investment community and the public aware of the issues that we've faced for three years, um, it's shifted. It's accelerated. And you've heard me say it many, many times, but the one thing that moves the ball, the one thing that supports your negotiating committee and all of these efforts that are underway is unity. And April 1st, as we just said, will be a day that every, and I mean every pilot who is not working, should prioritize. Uh, as I said it earlier, it's not someone else's responsibility, it's yours. Every person should ask those that they fly with, what are your plans? Are you going to be there? Not if you're going to be there, rather, but what are your plans when you are there? And if you hear someone suggest they can't make it, ask why. People notice, as evidenced in that New York City event, the public notices, the investors notice, the board of directors notices, and most importantly, the company notices. And we've said it many, many times, that, and we did say it earlier too, there's a true belief amongst many at the company that what we're trying to achieve at the table is not what you are truly seeking. Again, three years later, they're still suggesting that. Yeah, and I'll just add to that point that the numbers matter, and you can bet management is going to be out there accounting heads. And the picket turnout can become a kind of straw poll that management can use to see whether the pilot group is really behind what they're hearing at the negotiating table, a way to see where the pilots really stand. So the message management receives is really up to each and every one of you. Yeah, I agree. Everybody needs to step up and demonstrate that support. Much as I don't want to end on kind of a, a serious, somber note, before I close, I do want to say that it is time also for this pilot group to start to consider saving in case we reach the point of self-help. I'll point back to that last podcast on their RLA process, the Railway Labor Act process, and note that while we're not at that stage, the time to start thinking about it and start saving and preparing for it, both mentally and financially, is now. Those PVP payments are in your accounts. Again, I always say this shouldn't be that hard. The things that the pilots are seeking are 100% in line with your industry peers. And, you know, much as I'd love to be optimistic that we're going to see meaningful movement on the company's part, we may not. And if we don't, the pilots need to be ready. Yeah. And ready includes our families. So it's important to include them on the process. And family, whatever that means to you, whatever support structure you have, whatever people in your life that will be affected or impacted by your career, and and particularly, should it become necessary, uh, a temporary reduction or elimination of, of salary. So it's important to bring them along. Make sure that they understand why this is important, what you're fighting for, 
how it will affect your life going forward and, and why they need to be on board with you. We have an entire committee dedicated to this called the Family Outreach and Negotiations Education Committee. Lisa Booker is the chair of that. So get them involved. And there's a website that they can go to. It's not behind the firewall, but you can access it through alaskapilots.org. To tack on that, we have to produce here. This contract has got to produce. This is not, we're not reaching for the stars. We have to bring back something to the guys that they will ratify. This isn't an arbitration deal. This isn't like something that's going to get stuffed down their throat. This has to be something that actually the pilots will, will want and vote yes on. So this isn't, it's, it's not even up to us. This has to happen. And the longer that they delay this, look around you. Look at the merger that just took place. Look at uh, United and Delta. I mean, or sorry, United and American are accelerating their negotiation schedule. Delta's accelerating. I mean, I think they're even picketing in March. So the longer that they keep throwing this out, the worse it's going to get. And the further behind it we are going to get. So, I mean, it's it's time. It's time. As I said before, we got to move. We got to go. I couldn't agree with you more on that point, Ronan. I mean, that's one of the more frustrating parts that I have to express time and time again, that Chris Gruner has to express time and time again, is that this deal needs to reflect the priorities of the pilots. It needs to ratify in the end. There's no tempering of expectations here. Thanks, guys. Garen, how about you? Any parting thoughts? Uh, you guys, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to, to serve and to speak here. And, and those of you that know me, know that I've tried to make the company better by supporting the pilot group through my years here. But, you know, the one thing I've learned is this company is not going to move. They're, they're going to continue on their purposeful path and the one they've chosen. And they're not really going to do anything towards addressing our concerns and needs unless they're compelled to. So what I'm saying is, how do we do that? You know, I, we do it through joining together and we, we do it through continuing to fight for our fair treatment. Um, we can only get there with really each and every pilot on board. You know, those who are taking the time to stay informed, we thank you, of course. Those of you on the sidelines, we really need your voice too and your loyalty. So I, I would say that I guess this is a call to action to, to rejoin our ranks or join our ranks and fight for what is right. Let's prevent management's lackluster behavior towards the pilots and really just help us get to where we should already be. I hope you all will see how much your efforts will pay off and, and how that participation and involvement are just really necessary and essential for this to happen. So once again, guys, I think I just want to say thanks for the uh, opportunity to serve the pilot group. Yeah, thank you, Garen. Yeah, and I suppose in conclusion, you know, as we wrap this up here, David, I do want to look back and reflect on something that we spoke to in the last oh, several podcasts ago when we talked about culture and frustration and note again that we fully understand the daily frustration that all the pilots are experiencing. We experience it in here every day too and when we get out and fly and just remind everybody that despite this frustration that the keys to success are professionalism and an unwavering focus on safety. I mean, it's absolutely critical as we move forward. Having uh, just spoken at the, the 261 Memorial, I think that really drives that point home that no matter how frustrated we are in our day-to-day -day lives, that that safety remains our priority and our number one focus. And always, as I say, let's be kind to each other out there despite the frustrations. Stay unified, stay informed, and obviously continue to reach out to your elected reps when, uh, when you need your input felt. The pace is accelerating and we have indeed entered a more mature phase of this negotiation cycle. And, you know, now more than ever, we're going to get there and we're going to get there together.
Absolutely. Unity really matters. And I, I think if I could just sum up this whole episode, we are moving into another phase of, of the negotiations. It's time to get things moving and we need everyone to join. It is an all hands on deck experience we're about to start. So we'll see you out on the picket line on April 1st. And I'd like to thank you for joining. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell.